Welcome, welcome to Business Eye. Friday lunchtime, live in Dundrum Shopping Centre. And Simon is not with us today. He's in the UK getting all those cheap Christmas presents. Hope he buys me something nice, actually. I must say that to him, drop a few hints on it. But yes, we have some interesting guests today. In studio at the moment, I have Ian McCain. Is that right, Ian McLean? Ian McLean. Sorry, Ian, I always I'll, mix I'll up people's names. Respond to anything. And you are with a company which is called Flow Group. That's it. What is Flow Group? It's a, it's a consultancy that works with uh, business, businesses of all sizes and all dimensions to help them with the people side of being more effective. Yes, because when we get into consultancy, there is a vast range of different consultants. Like myself, I'm a consultant for businesses, but I help them with their marketing and their sales. Mindset marketing and sales. Um, Other people help consult with finance and and so on. And as Simon would do, would be with negotiation and leadership. But you you said helping them with their people. Please tell me more. Well, the the business is a game of two halves, if you want to coin that, yeah. adopt that oh. footballing cliche. And one half of business is what we refer to as the mechanics. So they're the systems and the processes and the policies and the procedures and the governance, the governance and the structures and the now AI and the reporting and <laughs> strategies and projects. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I can see what side of the fence you're on. <laughs> But 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 it's uh, some for some businesses that's all there is. Yeah. But it's yeah. only one half of the equation. Yes, true. And uh, the other half of the equation are the humanics, because if you think about the machine and mechanics, uh, the wheel of business doesn't turn without the oil of human interaction. Cybernetics. And that's the that's the piece that we do. And very often, you know, business is very comfortable with mechanics. In fact, it's a lot more comfortable with the mechanics, because it's tangible and it's measurable and it's. It's it's true because businesses need those tactical tactics. A lot of businesses run on tactical movements like a chessboard, but they forget if they're in business for a very long period of time, they sort of forget about the strategy end because they're working on the tactics. And it's interesting, I wrote an article on LinkedIn there a while back and it was to do with strategy and tactics. A lot of companies and correct me on this, is all they do is want to do, 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 where they should be stopping and thinking, strategizing, and then going with the workflow. I fully agree with that. And uh, even within strategy, because a strategy is a mechanic in in and of itself, it doesn't implement itself. No, no. Projects don't implement themselves or deliver themselves, and strategies don't implement themselves. You still need human interaction in order to deliver a strategy. Thank God. So, and, and uh, you know, so that, that's the area because humans by definition are, you know, we have our frailties. Um, so we have our superpowers and we have our kryptonites. And then everybody's flawed in some way. And you bring that to the table when you're interacting with other people. And that often can create breakdowns that get in the way of getting stuff done. The lack of, yes, because one person might be an introvert and one person might be an extrovert or one person might be a system thinker and another person might be creative. And these all just around to to get that right mix. Well, you know, difference is something that we know we should embrace because, you know, the more difference there is, the more diversity there is, uh, the more creativity and innovation you can have. But it excludes the realization that difference is also the number one cause of conflict. 
would you feel that a lot of businesses and say a lot of leaders and a lot of managers out there who are looking after teams before they get educated or before they understand or are trained they see the whole team as they perceive how they think and then they will try and push their ideas on it like you know if I'm an extrovert or I'm a go-getter I want everyone in this team to go like this because that's the way I do where when they sort of be reskilled is probably the better word to go hang on you'll get more out of John if you treat John in a this way and you'll get more out of Robert if you treat him not everyone thinks like you well uh, you know that that gets into the heart of the equipping leaders and managers to lead and manage and what typically happens in most organizations is somebody's very good at sales and because they're very good at sales they quickly ascend and then you know the big the big prize is they get appointed sales manager or somebody's a very good uh, tax advisor and then you know all of a sudden they get a team of tax consultants or advisors to manage and um, the, the thing that often gets forgotten, the assumption is that just because you're good at sales or just because you're good at tax advice or just because you're good at coding, it assumes that you're going to be a great leader and manager of people. But the, uh, the, the skill involved in doing that is completely, this, is completely opposite. And yeah, totally. organizations are not very good, by and large, at developing their leaders and managers from the point that they're newly appointed all the way through to if they continue to progress which is why you get the whole idea of the Dilbert principle where you get promoted to the point of your own incompetence. Yes, and then what happens is it's the redundancy or it's the, 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 the doubt turns into the fear and the fear turns into the anxiety and then that person is dealing with a whole new different emotions because they feel they need to be that top accountant who was looking after the people where they were quite happy doing what they were doing and should have been do you, should should they have got promoted or should they have stayed where they were or should have been a skill set put into them in place before they got that promotion that's right that, that's exactly it yeah and is that what you do you you go and and there's me banging the table. And, and the thing you told me not to do, you not to do, banging the table. Huh? And is See, that, this is about leading by example, Joe. Yes, it is, yes. Where's the, where's the coffee? Where's uh-huh. the coffee? We didn't even get a coffee because you were, we, you were running late. So I got no coffee <laughs> and now you were banging the table. I, I, you know. Tell me, time is something that is very precious. And the reason why I'm mentioning it is we spoke on, on the, at the break about time. And you said to me, which was intrigued my curiosity, that you were aware of time at, at an age uh, of a teenage, when you were a teenager. And I only, I only really came to realise how important time was probably in the last maybe five, six years. It could be longer, but that's what I, I'm, I'm... And it's it's the only thing that we don't have enough of. Everything else is precious. And I even got a nap on my phone, um, which everyone thought was very morbid. And I typed in, I'm going to live till I'm 86. So I was counting down every day, hour, minute, till I came 86. And people said, that's very morbid. And I says, it's not. It's to show me how little time I have left and what I can do with it. Instead of going, oh yeah, I'm ke- wait, I'm sitting here waiting till I die. <laughs> but is that sort of the same attitude of what you had yourself at that age? Yeah, I, I was one of those people, Joe, that seems to have been born old. Okay. So for you know, for as long as I can remember, I kind of had an awareness about things that were way beyond my years. So I was the kid who you know was often asking the really difficult question 
in the class to the teacher, you know, the existential questions. You know, the books that I had were kind of lined up. There were existential books like Camus and Hermann Hesse and, you know, Nietzsche and all that. And I'm talking about when I was in my early teens. I was the kid that, you know, people used to come to whenever there was a dispute. Um, they came to me to kind of resolve the, the dispute in the playground or in the team, uh, sports team or anything else. So I was kind of one of these. Um, I, my friends were always older. I gravitated towards older friends. Uh, I had more female friends than I had male friends, uh, simply because. Better they, phone. They, well, <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> but they, they, you know, females are typically more advanced in, the, in, in those years mentally. Um, so back to the time equation. What was very obvious to me from as far back as, as I can remember was that you get one shot at life and uh, what you do with it is critical. And time is, it's very democratic because everybody's got the same 24 hours in the day. Nobody has got any more, no matter who you are or where you are in the world. Uh, it's totally democratic. It's what you do with it that becomes the issue. And, um, you know, these were thoughts that I was that I was filled with whenever I was a teenager. And I can remember career guidance and two things. My father was a primary school headmaster. Uh, he was a primary school teacher for 42 years. So he was a rock of sense in a small rural parish, you know, himself and the parish priest were the the, the two and the, icons the, the, and, the, and, the, and the doctor and the doctor yes sure. the, the priest was had more power than the police you know, well, yeah. you know that's, we, a, we, we, that's we, another, another day, day. Yes. Let's, yeah. let's leave that one aside <laughs> but uh, what I can remember is um, my career guidance teacher and my father when we were talking about careers were exhorting me to take the permanent pensionable route. You know, go go for a job in the bank. You know, my dad was a teacher, wanted me to be a teacher. Uh, you know, go for the guards. This is it. And, you know, and I, I can remember very clearly thinking, uh, whatever you do in life that you work at and you choose as a career, you spend a huge chunk of your time dedicated to it and devoted to it. So I made a pact with myself in my mid-teens that whatever I would choose to do in life, I would only do it if I continued to enjoy it and if I thrived while I was doing it. And that has kind of informed everything that I've done from that day to this. It, it's interesting because I would probably have been of the same mind as yourself and all through the teens and in my 20s, I always kind of had this thing, life is meant to be easy. Life is not meant to be a struggle. And I sort of had this thing in my own mind. And like yourself, I, you know, I'm a great reader. I read all the time and, and I'm curious, curious as hell. And that helps me pick up books and helps me just absorb so much information in all different aspects of what I find interesting. But it was always that level of life is not a struggle. Life shouldn't be a struggle. It's meant to be enjoyable. You're meant to have a happy life. And I went on that search. Now, that search has brought me through many different countries and has brought me through different spiritual levels as well and has brought me from, has also brought me into the understanding of who I am as a human person. And I have happily now live a joyful life. And as you said there, Ian, we all have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Everyone is the same. Is it the mind, do you, in your opinion, do you feel that it is the mindset the person's attitude or is it nurture or nature that gets them to where they want to be? It's a really good question. And, and you know, it, there's two sides of the argument. And if you ask um, experts in, 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 in psychology, behavioral psychology or any branch of psychology or therapy, they will 
argue different things, but you know, my, my own view is that it's an absolute combination of the two. I, I used to be of the persuasion that you were kind of, so you're born with the DNA and you have a basic, you, you're basically given a set of cards that are the essence of who you are. And then everything that happens from that point on is overlaid on top of that. And then you create layers and layers and layers of sediment that is the human experience. Every, every moment from the time you're born, even your birthing, all the way through to your upbringing and your parent, how you were parented, and what happened to you in your early formative years. It's the first seven years, the whole Jesuit principle of, you know, give me the boy for seven years and I'll show you the man. And, um, and then you continue to evolve as you go along. And then if you take the basic DNA and all the overlaying of sediment that's happened over the period of time and you combine them, you end up in a Yeatsian world where, uh, where he said, you, how do you know the dancer from the dance? So this is why it's very difficult to disaggregate what's nature and what's nurture. And we, we run across this an awful lot when we run into, because a lot of the work we do is very deep within organizations with the people side of it, either through coaching people on a one-to-one basis. So we do a lot of executive coaching where you work with teams, and teams are a system. So if a team is functional and high-performing, it's because the system that is governing the team, which is typically unconscious, uh, is a very benign a benign system. If there's a dysfunctional team, which is often why we get, would get brought in to work with the team, when it's dysfunctional, it's <clears throat> because the basic system, the operating system, is wrong. Uh, I would agree with you. And talking about the DNA... And like they're writing articles now that do certain do entrepreneurs have a certain DNA in it? And we know through DNA, you know, we know that it's fast muscle fiber type or short muscle fiber type in sport. If you're running, we know about nutrition and how different nutrition can treat people with genetics. Um, and then looking, what you're saying is that yes, from zero to seven, you can show me the boy. And that, and and the reason why that's so important, which we're realising now, a child from zero to three has a different wavelength in their brain from when we have. So the wavelengths wavelengths change, and they're playing with something without them realising their brain is taking in all that stuff that's going on around them, and that's teaching them. And that's if the parents are shouting, or the parents are happy, or the siblings are, and that without that child realising, it's all that information. Even I believe in the womb, a baby is picking up all the information and all the sounds. It's bringing up to that. And then, yes, that can then make that person be the person they are if they negativity or positive. But I think if you, and which maybe happened to you at that early age, was when you have a realisation, we all have it at some stage, and then we fight for that paradigm shift to go, okay, I can be better than what I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we, we, the work that we do, obviously with corporate organisations, you're dealing with people as they now are. So our, our, our interest and focus isn't on how they got to where they are, which is kind of speculative. It's more where do they go from here into the future, you know, yeah, next the past week, next is, the, is the past. They, they are where they are, and yeah. and and you know, the work we do is it's not the work of counselling and therapy; it's the work mm. of of helping them uh, move from where they are now to where they to a better place. Whether it's within themselves or their career or their or within their teams or the team itself or the department or the whole organisation, and and that's what we do. We kind of we, we're like performance doctors, so we kind of diagnose what's working, what isn't working, and we help put in the 
help that will enable organizations, teams, individuals, departments to move from where they are to where they want to be. If I was to ask you a question off the cuff, values, what would you say your six top values are? Personally? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, I can tell you what the top three are because they became the values. So the business, the flow group business that I started, I started in 1998. So it's 21 years old this year. Happy birthday. Yeah, I'm 50 next week, do you know? Oh, yeah, well, I, I've, I've, I've seen that one. <laughs> Uh, not so long ago, but I, but I have. Yeah. Uh, so 21 years 21 since we years. since we started, and I started the business from the bedroom, not even the spare bedroom because I needed the rent. So actually, I started it from my own bedroom, and I can remember I lived in a two up two down in Kilmainham, and uh, the I can remember the first day that the computer arrived. And it arrived in a huge, big... Now, talk about... Do you, you remember, Tam, it was the, like, so exciting, wasn't it? Well, it was very exciting, and it reminded me this week when I heard the government story, I could hardly get it in through the window, right, or in through the door. Such was the size of the box. It was a Dell, you know, yeah. and get it, trying to get it in through the bedroom door. I had to take the architraves off so that we could get it in. But anyway, so that the only reason I say that is to say that when I started the business, I started it off with three core values. And uh, the three core values which exist and have informed the whole business and the decision-making throughout the last 21 years. The first is partnership. So um, the whole idea that we, we don't instruct and teach and, and it's all one way. The only way things work or the way they work best is when you're working in partnership or in tandem with the person on the other side. So that could be a whole organization that you're working with. So if we're working with uh, <clears throat> Irish distillers or we're working with Google or we're working with whomever, uh, Unless you've got a partner on the other side with, with as much interest in the game as you do, then, and when you do, it really does work very, very well. Yeah, it's it, the symbiosis because yeah. what, what they bring to the table is, and if it's an individual where you're doing one-to-one, a CEO, for example, they know themselves more than you do. So you can't know what they know about themselves or, or the organization. And you know what they can't know, which is why they need help. And it's the symbiosis of the two. So that's the whole partnership idea. And that's the first thing. And I'm a great believer in that. And whether it's in my marriage, whether it's with my kids, whether it's with my friends, um, this whole idea of partnership where you're looking and striving to always create value to both sides. And I mean value in the, in, in the broadest and the most general sense. The, the second one is authenticity. So authenticity, when I, when I created, when I n- nominated it or named it as a value 21 years ago, nobody was talking about authenticity. What's very interesting is that 21 years later, authenticity is one of the kind of watchwords and the buzzwords of the era. And the reason it is, is because there's so little trust. So if you, if you look outside, you don't need to look too far in the world to see how so much is broken down. Trust in our institutions, trust in our politicians, trust in our governments, trust, trust in our processes, uh, political processes, trust in our banks, trust in our uh, churches, trust... So if you take the last 21 years, there probably hasn't been a denudation of trust to the same degree in the history of mankind as there has been in the last 21 years. And now you've got populism and you've got all the reactions to that. So that's the second thing. So authenticity. And what I mean by that and how it shows up in our business is you talked about consultants earlier on and consultancy. uh, There's no barrier to entry to being a consultant. So anybody today can decide I'm going to be a consultant. They put a plate on the door, ABC Consulting Limited. If they've got a good graphic designer and they're a good curator of content, they can represent themselves to be everything that has taken us 21 years to be. And they may or may not be it. So that's why consultants very often get a bad name because there's a 
significant proportion of consultants who, because there's no barrier to entry, there's no regulation in the sector, uh, can turn up and do a, a half-baked job. So authenticity is the whole idea that we, we eat our own cooking. So everything that we teach our own clients, we've road tested it first in our own business. And actually, the interesting thing for me has been, you know, you talk, we talk, we're talking off air a little bit about, uh, or even at the start, where you were talking about the, the chessboard and the board. The whole idea of business is interesting because evolving and developing a business from the room at home all the way through to, you know, across four continents is something where the evolution of that has been very interesting. And applying the principles, it's been like a test laboratory. So if this is going to work, I've got to apply the principles. And authenticity is one of the core values. Never kind of compromising on what we believe ourselves to be right and to be true, even if it means walking away from work sometimes, which we have done. And then the third principle is difference. And not difference for the sake of being different, but difference because the space we're in, you talked about mindsets a, a second ago. Unless or until, if people, you know, what, what are the core things that you need to understand about people that is yielding the performance that they're getting on the other side is their mindset and how they think. And we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to jump back after we can talk about trust and some of the yeah. stuff you spoke about there. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM. Community radio with a global audience. And welcome back to Business Eye. Ian, before the break, uh, we were talking about values, and you mentioned three core values with your company, which started 21 years ago. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, and one of the things that you mentioned there is trust. And you are, you were bang on. There is, there is so much, you know, social media has given us uh, a platform that anybody can get up and say anything. But it's all about building the trust. And what I say to a lot of my clients is, you know, you have all these information out there. It is about trust. People don't buy because you're sold to. You buy because of trust. But you have to build that trust. So there is a, you have to start off with who is your client, as we know. Then it's even before you're getting into that, it's building that trust with them and getting them to understand. And then the trust has to get them to fall in love with you. It's understand this is the people that we can help. We we trust them, but now we love their message and what they're doing. And then it's getting into the sales. And then it's getting into the system where a lot of people believe it's lead sales, lead sales, lead sales. Oh, I didn't get it. And it's, it's, if, you, if companies take a step back and stop trying to rush things and sort of go, okay, what do I want for my client or even ask yourself this question, what do I want for me? Because what I want for me, I then can offer for my client. Or what I want for my client, I will receive for me as well. So if a company wants great leaders, you become a great leader and you show them to be the best leaders. So then that's what you'll become. Or if you want to, you know, to be the best sales trainer, you show people how to be the best sales trainer. And so you'll be the... Do you see where I'm at? And I think, I think yeah, I think we're... We're lost. I think people are lost. I think companies are confused. I think there's a, there is a lot of confusion out there because they're seeing all these mixed messages coming in at 100 miles an hour. And they're not, they're not actually stopping to kind of wake up and smell the coffee. So what do you, in your opinion, feel is the one issue that businesses 
have or need fixing with, or even if they do. Mm, there's there's um, there's a, a lot a more lot, than, yeah, a lot more yeah. than one, um, a tree, yeah. ten. <laughs> but but I, I would say if you round it all up into you know the thing that we're seeing, because in 21 years you've seen different trends and different challenges. So. I can very clearly remember what it was like in 2009, whenever the world fell off a cliff. You know, the, the, it's very, very different now to what it was just just less than a decade ago um, when we had that correction. And I would say, if I were looking at what characterizes the challenge now, is we have a an age of technology uh, and digital world that is rampant. And the implications and the impact of that on our humanity and how it's affecting people in the workplace is it's still impossible to tell and impossible to, 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 to understand. One of the things it's doing is it's creating a greater level of disconnection. So the need for connection, so you go back to trust. If you believe that trust is the gateway towards you know, building a better business and building a better world, let's say, or building a better culture in your organization, which leads to higher productivity, that leads to better business, if you don't want to be altruistic about it, um, then you need to find a way in a world which is looking at technology as the solution because of everything that it offers. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a magpie solution. It's very glittery, and you're attracted towards it, and it's very distracting. Um, Then finding ways to connect at a human level with people in a way that creates meaning and, and, and enables the trust to build. That's, that's one of the big struggles. You know, we're finding some major companies, blue chip companies, global ones, that we're working with who are experiencing an incredible amount of burnout with their uh, managers, leaders, executives, and all the way down. Because if leaders and managers and executives are burning out, then guess what? It's, it's got a trickle-down effect. Don't touch the pool table that's there in the corner. It's for people to look through the window at, yeah. <laughs> Can I get out of this lazy boy now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, 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 that is, uh, that, that's a major I, one. I believe what is needed in the world is, is to people to be more aware. My, these are my opinions, is that awareness is important awareness of what's going on around you awareness of what's going on in the office awareness of your clients awareness internal and external but also truth i think truth is something that is lacking in the world as well um and more and more like yourself i've created out of this frustration and, and seeing what's going on and worked with large organizations and and working and interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people through the shows and the station I created this sort of need and I created the Conscious Business Academy and it was created to try and help companies to realise that we're all human beings. Take the label of the accountant, which we spoke about earlier on, or the the tech guy. Take all those labels away and treat each one as, as a human being, you know, as Bob or John. And but you know Bob and John in the office. You only know 25% of John. That other 75% of John could be having a really bad time at home or something. You don't know that. And you have to realise that as well and understand that within it. And strip down, I'm getting to believe now that companies, we talk about branding and branding this, branding that. It's not. And it's not, why not run your organisation as a community? Because that's what we've lost 
outside of work where we lived in communities and you know grandparents and your parents and all used to look around do you know when everyone lived and the key was in the door and we walked your school you went to school barefoot and that gravel but they were communities and then as we got wealthier we don't, you know, you don't know who your neighbours are and you don't know who's living in your apartment block. So the only way then for doing that is community and the community then, let make the, the company the community and then let's see what happens on it. And, um, you know, to add to that, and I reinforce it, is back to, there's, there's two elements that come together in this. One is the whole breach and breakdown of trust out in society and in, in institutions. And the extent to which people spend more and more time at work, and it's so central. People are now looking for community in their workplace. And the uh, context of that, though, because digital is on and you're always on, you know, once upon a time when I started, you know, the, the, I can remember the very first mobile phone, the NEC P3, which I had in 1997, 1998. It was like a brick. Yeah, I had um, one as well. So, yeah. so and, and um, you know, the Aircell first code, uh, first uh, tagline was connecting people, not places, which was kind of, you know, it was amazing. You didn't have to be in a place. You now could connect through a phone. Now you have moved 21 years later to an always on culture. Most businesses are global. If you look at the level, particularly in Ireland here, foreign direct investment, the number of uh, U.S. multinationals that exist here that Irish people are working for. Google, as I understand it, employ more than 9,000 people here now uh, in Ireland, which is remarkable. And you think about the fact that you're probably being asked to operate across three different time zones. So it's not unusual now for people to have to be awake uh, whenever Australia's awake and at the same time be awake whenever San Francisco's awake. Yeah, we know people that are working in, in their jobs here and then taking calls in America at 11 o'clock at night. So, so if you take the two things and combine them, two into one doesn't go. You have a situation where um, people are looking for community in their workplace, but they're so time-strapped and time-poor that, that under pressure yeah. of time, I don't have the time to actually connect with people in ways that, is, that make it meaningful and make a community there. They might even want to or aspire to but they've lost the art and the act of, of knowing how to anymore. And this is because now people connect through digital media, through digital communication. The actual art of having a face-to-face conversation with another human being and doing it in a meaningful way, that's the bit. And we actually had to go and create a whole proposition around this, which has gone from a zero start to accounting for about 40% of our revenues called Green Line Conversations. It's just an ability to have and connect with people in ways that's meaningful. And one of the reasons why I love radio, it's that conversation and the communication with people. Video has helped us get there as well. But you're right, a lot of people, a friend of mine, he's a speaker in London, and he was asked to do a speaking gig, and he says, let's to the guy, let's jump on the phone. And he says, oh, no, I'm more comfortable to text. And I go, okay, well, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But it, that mindset... Of, this is how we communicate on it. And you think about digital natives who've only ever grown up with, you know, surrounded by digital. I mean, you and I are not digital natives. I, well, at least you're definitely not. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so you, you at least you remember a time when that's all there was and that was the main thing. But what about if you're a digital native and you have grown up in a world where the permissiveness around being on screens and communicating and texting with your friends through text and through, you know, FaceTime yeah, and so on? It's, it's like I even remember in my early 20s when mobile phones was was it early 20s yeah early 20s when everyone sort of had the mobile phone um, and you used to call in to say to like a black rocket on the area of your town and you'd go looking for your friends 
And when you were going looking for friends, you'd call into four or five different bars. And in those four or five different bars, you'd meet one or two people in there and you'd have a chat with them. And oh, great. And all that. says, oh, I'm looking for I'm looking for Killian and Sean and whoever. And then you'd you'd go and you'd find them in a bar. But you would have connected with so many people in different bars, building your network up. And when the phone came out, it was text, where are you? So it was speeding things up then without us even realising, but it was taking away the art of that communication of the guy that you bumped into in school and you hadn't seen in six months. That was all disappearing. And that was even... I noticed that in, in our early 20s. and says, how is this going to evolve? And we can see today how it has evolved. We've X amount of friends on Facebook that you're dear friends, but you walk past them in Tesco's downstairs because you don't recognise them, but you'll talk with them online. So it, 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 it's only evolving and it's only getting better. But I think the emotion or the emotional attachment that people have, I think people are craving for this. And I think this is one of the, you, you were, as you said, at 13, 14, you were, you were a futurist, if you want to call it. You were thinking ahead of the box. And those 21 years now has given you that platform to kind of go, okay, I'm ahead of the game here, lads. I know that you just want the communication. Let's try and salvage what we have. I'm going to say this as humanity before it gets way out of control. Mm. Well, it's the one thing that hasn't changed in 21 years is humanity. What yeah. surrounds us has changed. Yeah. Almost yeah. unrecognizably. Yeah. And yeah. what you've got to do is look at the reeling back the years. You know, anytime you want to watch it or pop goes Northern yeah. Ireland or anything on the yeah. TV yeah. and you, you'll see, you know, how absolutely things have transformed. Yeah, but... Humanity and people say, oh, worry about AI, worry about AI. And it says, AI is brilliant, but it doesn't have an emotion and it never will. And there it is. There it is on it. Ian, tell me, we're going to take, uh, we're going to wrap it up here now. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Um, where can people connect with you? Uh, give us your LinkedIn details or give us your uh, f- website and all if people want to reach out. Yeah, so LinkedIn is Ian McLean. You'll find me on, on LinkedIn, M C C L E A N. And uh, the company is called Flow Group. And um, the w- we the chapter that we have is the UK and Ireland chapter. So it's flowukandireland.com. And then the conversations piece that I mentioned for those who are interested in creating meaningful connections um, and trying to resolve conflict particularly is greenlineconversations.com. And have, we missed, did, have I missed anything or do you want to give a quick 10 well, seconds another to give 24, a Another 24 hours we could probably... We could talk so, for a while. Solve the problems of the world. Well, that's what it, we're here for, isn't it? That's what we're all here for on it. Ian, thanks for coming on to Business Eye. And that's it, folks. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM. Community radio with a global audience. And yes, folks, on this part of the show, we have Mike Stevenson. Mike is a speaking sensation, so that's what his LinkedIn says. I'm going to find all about that. And Mike, how are you? Very well, thank you very much. So you're shining here in Edinburgh, so I'm feeling full of uh, positive spirit. Brilliant, brilliant. Yes, um, unfortunately, Simon can't be with us today. He's in London, uh, but he was raving about you, saying you're a super guy and uh, we need to speak. So welcome to Business Eye. Oh, what a flattering introduction that is. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be on. So tell me this, sir. Your your business is um, about all about 
Tinktastic. What is that? Explain that to me, please, in the audience. Uh, well, listen, I had a marketing business for 19 years and uh, it, it went awry um, during the recession. So I wanted to start again. And I, I was reading this book by, I think it was Joseph O'Neill, who's an Irish New York writer. And he was talking about, you know, building a cricket pitch in New York. And it, everyone was kind of doubting him and, uh, you know, playing along with him. He eventually did achieve his dream, but he kept saying, I think fantastic. And I thought, what's a lovely concept. So I put the two words together and created Thinktastic. And, you know, basically it's, it's about being big, bold and brave and, uh, you know, uh, using examples from around the world and helping people to achieve, you know, something greater than their 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 minds and their abilities, you know, currently allow them to do. When you say that, are you talking about how people changing their mindset in their day-to-day business or their day-to-day life or helping people be bold in their business? Well, it's, it's, I mean, there is a mindset thing, but most people's mindset is kind of predetermined by their experiences and you know I've had a very varied life I I, I can (laughs) go on about that but it started off pretty badly so I'm able to use my own kind of life story as as a metaphor for business and the the thing about business is you know it gets very settled um, and you know it's very difficult to avoid hubris when things are going right and it's sometimes very difficult to find solutions when things start to go wrong because you, you begin to panic. And and the, the worst thing for me is when businesses think they're going well and they kind of rest on their laurels. And, you know, I have spoken to so many businesses that would attest to that being the case. Um, and, you know, what can you do when you bring someone from the outside who's got, you know, a whole different energy, can see things very clearly because they're standing on the outside looking in and can help people to, you know, make quite dramatic developments. So, I mean, I do it by speaking. I'm I'm speaking in Delhi, actually, in January. I've just got that booking. And it really is helping to unlock people um, from any kind of fixed mindset. So there is a mindset thing. But there's also how do you do it and what do you do? And sometimes, you know, that is the kind of inspirational thinking that I, I can bring because I can use examples from all around the world of how, you know, people have accomplished something well beyond their ken, as we would say in Scotland. And, you know, inspiring people to think a bit more creatively about solutions. And uh, it's that bit of creativity as well that, you know... That drives it through. It's it's so... So you're you're talking about the paradigm shift. You're getting people to actually realise that that, that's changed. And you said that you have, let's say, a colour for life. And what I say, what you're doing there is and we we probably are of the same elk is is wisdom because wisdom brings us knowledge and when you can speak to someone from a wisdom point of view instead of an educational point of view you do greater um and and also it's sort of about you know we all have products and we all have services and it's all i've learned and it was like a good friend of mine mike hancock said there to me the other day as well and it kind of registered with me is it's about action and attitude and that's what it's about a lot of companies go okay we we have this we are bringing in x amount of business and as you said sit on the laurels but what really needs to do okay what can we do now 
that extra 5% to keep this growing and growing and growing on it. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I agree. Everything I speak about, I can draw on my own experience. And that gives it an authenticity. And you're right, you know, the, the, the word wisdom. Yes, I would accept that. Because when you keep learning in life, you know, you keep your mind open and you, you keep learning, then, you know, you speak with a kind of enthusiasm and a freshness and, uh, and an energy. Um, I'm not some some kind of uh, wizened old man sitting back, you know, smoking a pipe, <laughs> uh, able to tell wise stories to my great grandchildren. I don't have any From children. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is about getting out there, being very energetic, and showing people that they can achieve something far greater than they believed before. And when you're going into a business, um, businesses can get locked in. And that is, you know, the, the challenge for someone like me. And, and, you know, I have made, you know, by my contribution, got people thinking in a wholly different way. So, you know, the business says we are distinctive in this way. And I say, can you be even more distinctive? Can you be a magnet? Can you create an energy within the company that really drives you on, you know, a, a, a new, you know, plateau you know let's let's look at something you know wholly different and you can find things and often those ideas do come from staff within the company so that the fact that you have to come from the outside sometimes unlock the ideas and the energy and the imagination of people inside the company um is something that i've understood and i brought people in even when i had my own company i used to bring people in to try and get a fresh perspective and a fresh energy so it really is a useful thing to do and uh, you know sometimes also you see collaborations that people haven't seen uh, i always think of the the story and it's a, it's a true one in new york I think it's in Brooklyn. Uh, a bookshop owner was sitting with his next door neighbour who was a pizza shop owner and they were sitting bemoaning the lack of business and uh, and someone passing sat down and says, oh, you know, miserable faces. And he said, why don't you create a, put these two shops together and create a, a pizzeria bookshop? And they did and business thrived. So, you know, it's finding those little gems that uh, people might not have even thought of. And this is where the kind of lateral thinking comes in. And I do bring lateral thinking as well as experience. And, you know, I've got so many examples. So when people see examples, they see possibilities. But that's it. It's, you know, when you are working in something and someone comes along and looks in where everyone in the organization is looking out, you do offer those snippets or the wisdom to help that business grow. And like yourself and myself, we're both executive coaches. And that's the beauty of it because the creativity that we have, the experience and the knowledge that we bring. And sometimes when you say something which is so obvious to people, they go, oh, my God, that's a great idea. And you go, yes, mm. yes. And when people say that to you, even for your own business, you go, why didn't I think of that? You know, yes, and, and that's the, the beauty of it. But just jumping back to what you said, it it is all about passion. It is about you know the the belief system. You have to have that passion and the belief system, and you have to be doing it for a reason. And what I've learned over the years when I'm speaking to my clients, what is the end result? If you want your clients to have A, you or say you want to have A for yourself or B for yourself, you then have to make sure your clients get A or B because that's how it works. The more you give for other people to get, the better you receive as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing that I focus on when I first start working with an organisation, or when I'm standing up on stage, is talking about the purpose. You know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what are you passionate about? And when you can turn, you know, people with job titles into people with purpose, um, you achieve so much more because they're, they're, they're not going to work to do a job. They're not fulfilling a job description. They're fulfilling, you know, a passionate purpose. And I've got this, I had this experience in South Beirut and it was just after the, the, the bombing in 2006. And, uh, you know, the rubble was everywhere. It was horrible to see, you know, just rubble everywhere. And I was walking along with my cousin because my mother's Lebanese. So I've got this connection there. And, you know, in the rubble, or on top of the rubble, there was this guy selling clothing. So I said to my cousin, that's very entrepreneurial. He says, that used to be a shop. So I went up and I said to him, it must have been horrible losing your shop. And he kind of shrugged and he said, I'm not a shopkeeper. I give people style and confidence. And that was a real kind of epiphany moment. I said to my cousin, this is a real road to Damascus moment. He says, well, actually, you're on the road to Damascus. Um, so, you know, he, he was a guy who... Who, who saw the shop just as a vehicle for delivering his purpose and his passion. Now, when you tell people that, it kind of opens the, their minds to the idea that, yes, you know, the reason I come to work is because I want to achieve something. Um, there's some kind of vision in there. And, you know, uh, you know I've, I've helped to change company visions because they just don't kind of resonate with people, they're not exciting. Uh, and when you can create this really distinctive vision uh, that gets people excited, it energy inside a company. And that's a gift. It does, it, it, it is change. Tell us, Mike, what is the one, if you were to put your finger on the one biggest issue or concern that people have that you come across what would it be would it be self-esteem would it be not trusting their judgment what would the one big thing that that you'd recognized which is right across the board well i i think it's believing that their contribution is um either marginalized that the ideas have a have a hierarchy or that they simply feel they're there to do a job and not to you know to come up with ideas and 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 obviously to avoid getting the blame or making a mistake so it's the avoidance of risk that's the biggest thing i come across because the people have ideas and they have you know a desire to to go to work with you know a spring in their step but but sometimes there is a blame culture um, and there's a kind of this is the way we do things that will never work attitude. And when you lift that and say that that holds people back, and often CEOs are are the worst culprits because they 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 often drive you know a, an organisation um, based on past experience rather than the future. Does that make sense? It does indeed. Tell me, so, tell me, we're 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 just come to the end here. Yeah. What's 2020 holding for you, my friend? Well, I'm, I've I've started getting some really good bookings right around the country, and to me, because you know we have in this country an election going on at the moment, 
which is, you know, crushingly dispiriting. Um, so it's important to lift spirits, but it's also important to start, you know, working towards building an economy uh, that's vibrant, that's dynamic, and that is not up to government. You know, government will probably try and screw it up uh, in the case of the United Kingdom at the moment. That's what I think is happening. But it's about, you know, people like you and I um, making things happen. Definitely. And I've got already, you know, a whole host of bookings around, actually I can say now in Ireland, a city where I got my first entrepreneurial experience as a busker in Grafton Street in 1968. Wow. There you are. That's there the story. That's it. Tell me, um, where can people reach out to you uh, if they want to connect with you on LinkedIn or look check out your website? They can check out the website, which is www.thinktastic.co.uk or www.mikestevenson.net. Mike, that's brilliant. And thanks for coming on to Business Eye and we will chat soon. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.